As uh, Kev mentioned, we're doing something a bit different uh, for the next few weeks. We're thinking about this uh, event that happened uh, 500 years ago. We're not uh, going through a book of the Bible like we normally do. Uh, instead, we're thinking about this thing that gets called the Reformation. Now, when I, uh, when I say that, that we're taking five weeks to think about the Reformation, there'll be a few different responses. Uh, I was sitting right up in the back corner there last week uh, of Night Church here when Troy uh, mentioned that's what we're doing for the next five weeks and I saw about three different reactions around me. One person near me went, oh, that's great, I'm really looking forward to that, which I was very excited about. Uh, another person said, the ref of what? To the person next to them. Uh, and another person seemed to be looking at something on their phone. But anyway, I'll leave that between them and their conscience. Uh, now, my hope is that uh, by the end of this five-week series, that everyone here will be like that first person, that everyone here will be excited about what the Reformation is all about. And my hope is that what you will see is that the Reformation might just be the most important event in history outside the things recorded in the New Testament, of course. Uh, but more than that, I hope you want to keep holding on to the truths about God. So, you know, I hope you're excited about the Reformation. I hope you do want to celebrate it and remember it and all that sort of thing. But what I really want is for you to take a hold of and believe in the truths that were rediscovered at the Reformation. Because the thing is, in the end, if you don't know who Martin Luther is or John Calvin is, it doesn't matter. It's sad, but, but in the end, if you don't know who they are, it, it doesn't matter. But if you don't know and trust in the truths they fought for, and many of them died for, uh, then that really matters, because your salvation depends on it. That's how important this is. So let's get into it. If you uh, take out your sermon outline, you'll want to follow along with that. Uh, and the first question is, really, well, what was the Reformation? Uh, so this is for the person who said, the refer what? Uh, so what was the Reformation? Well, basically, it was when a guy called Martin Luther, we've got a picture of him, Damo, coming up on the screen. We had a, a game with the kids this morning where it was uh, reformer or robber. Uh, it was sort of, we couldn't do or serial killer because that's hard to explain to a four-year-old. But uh, it was reformer or robber. And this was the one people got wrong. Poor old Martin Luther. A lot of people said they thought he looked like a robber. But anyway, that's Martin Luther. And basically what happened was he started a movement to take people back to the Bible. That's what the Reformation was. He and other people rediscovered the truth of God's word. They rediscovered in particular that we are not made right with God by being religious. And we're not made right with God by doing good works and doing religious things. Instead, our relationship with God is fixed by grace alone. This was this massive concept. We're going to think about that next week. That it is by God's free gift alone that we are made right with God. But then especially Luther rediscovered that you take a hold of that free gift, not by being good and not by being religious, but by faith alone. And that's what we're thinking about, especially tonight. You see, sadly, by the 1500s, when because it's 500 years ago, that's when this happened. By the 1500s, the church of that time had lost or clouded the gospel. Uh, all sorts of strange ideas had, had sprung up that weren't in the Bible. And in fact, that was the underlying problem. The problem was most people could not 
and weren't allowed to by the church were not allowed to read the Bible for themselves. And so the church, and especially the Pope, they were the authority. They were who decided what was right or wrong, not God's word. And so all sorts of unbiblical ideas had just crept in to the church of that time. So for instance, this idea of praying to saints, that somehow men or women who have lived in the past, that that you should approach them and get them to approach God on your behalf, even though you can go directly to God according to the Bible. And, And this idea that you should worship Mary as the mother of God, that's sort of crept in. But the biggest issue is in the whole question of how you are saved, how you are made right with God. What the church had started teaching by this time, and by the way, all of these ideas are still sadly official Roman Catholic doctrine, but the church taught that Jesus' death was important and faith was important. You couldn't be saved without Jesus' death. You couldn't be saved without faith. They were important, but the church taught that you needed faith and good works in order to be made right with God. You see, and especially religious good works like giving money to the church or receiving the mass or praying special prayers or going on a pilgrimage. And that meant that a person had no assurance that they were saved. You see why, that, why that's the case. You, you lived in fear of God's judgment, even if you were a Christian, even if you believed in Jesus. Because if it is on any, in any sense on the basis of what you do, well, you can never be certain that you've done enough. And, and so that tied to this idea of purgatory, another idea that not in the Bible, but the church had come up with, this idea that if you hadn't done enough good works at the end of your life, you went to purgatory to basically have the remainder of your sin burnt off you, for want of a better way of putting it. And even worse... There was this idea that if you did extra good works, they could sort of be used for someone else's benefit to get them out of purgatory. And so the church sold these things they called indulgences, where if people paid money, your grandmother or whoever you decided to apply it to could have a year off purgatory. And so the church abused this, there's no other way to put it, to raise money So if you go to Rome and you go to St. Peter's Basilica and you stand there admiring this incredible church building, it was built with the money they raised by distorting religion, by saying to people, pay us money and grandma or whoever can get a year out of purgatory. And at its worst, this was the the sort of line they used, we put it up on the screen, as soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. It was terrible. And that was the world that Martin Luther was born into until 1517, 500 years ago this year. So now I want us to think about who was Martin Luther. We'll put him back on the screen so we can see him. Well, he was a German who had started out studying law, but then disappointed his parents by getting into religion. I have a lot in common with Martin Luther. Uh, And he was really religious. So it's not like he was sort of half-hearted about it and wanted to find some other way. He took it really, really seriously. He did all the religious things. In fact, the other people, the people he was responsible for, used to get annoyed with him because he would go and just confess his sins and they'd go, please just stop, you know, we've had enough, you, you know. And he did everything. But what he found was the more he did to try and make up for his sin, 
the more he realised how much of a sinner he was. And he kept being struck by the fact that it didn't matter how much good he did, everything he did was sort of tarnished by sin. And he started despairing. His thought was, well, how can I ever know if I've done enough good things for God? So this is one of the things he wrote up on the screen. He said, I tried to live according to the rule. And I used to be contrite to confess and enumerate my sins. I often repeated my confession and zealously performed my required penance. And yet my conscience would never give me assurance. But I was always doubting and said, you didn't perform this correctly. You were not contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. And you can hear his struggle, can't you? And that is the struggle I find when I talk to religious people. Who people who think that somehow if they can just be religious enough, they'll be right with God. And what they find is they can never be sure. Because if being accepted by God is on the basis of what we do, well, how can I ever know if I've done enough? But then Martin Luther was writing some lectures on the Bible. And he was reading the book of Romans. And as he read it, he came to understand that the Bible taught something different to what the church had been teaching him. And the first thing he discovered was that his view of himself was absolutely right. He was right to despair about his sin. He he discovered we're all sinners, we all reject God, we all turn our back on God and there's nothing in ourselves we can do about it. So he came across Romans chapter 3, look up on the screen. It says, there is no one righteous... Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good. Not even one. So Luther read that and he realised he couldn't be good enough for a righteous God. But then he discovered something amazing. And now what we're going to do is we're going to read the two key passages that transformed Luther and transformed the world. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I think Natani and Emma are going to come and read us the Bible. Now keep those passages open, in particular chapter 3. And I hope as we read them, you could see what Luther discovered. You see, what Luther discovered was that even though we are helpless before God, even though we are sinners and God is righteous, and how can they have anything to do with one another, Luther discovered that even though we can do nothing to save ourselves, God has done everything. That's what he discovered in those passages. He came to Romans 1, 16 and 17, and then he came to Romans 3, 21, And there he read perhaps the two greatest words in the Bible. So look with me at Romans 3, 21. He says, but now. See, you are guilty of sin, but now something has changed. But now there is hope. But what Luther then realised is it's not, not because, but now you've done something about it. We haven't done anything. We're helpless. But now in Jesus, God has done something. Like the lifeguard who comes and sort of grabs us out of the water, God has entered history and acted to save us. So look with me at verse 21. He says, But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets, 
That is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Now, they're not words we use every day, so I want you to concentrate hard here. You see, Romans tells us we can't be righteous, but here it tells us God gives us the gift of his righteousness. God declares us to be righteous, it says later on. God declares us to be innocent of sin, not because we earn it, not by what we do. It's apart from the law. We don't earn God's righteousness. We just receive it as a gift. And we do that, we receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. And you notice there, it's to all who believe. There are no catches. This gift is available to anyone, just as everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, in the same way the gift of God's righteousness is available to anyone and everyone if we will just believe in Jesus. Now that truth that Luther rediscovered, he decided, he discovered, that is the greatest news that has ever been told. That's the news that Jesus and then the Apostle Paul wanted everyone in the world to know. It is the truth we call justification by faith. To be justified is to be declared righteous, to be declared innocent by God. And God offers that to anyone and everyone. He says, I will forgive you, I will declare you righteous, I will justify you if you will just receive the gift by faith. But Luther still had questions. And the big one was, well, how on earth can that work? How is that fair? How, how can God forgive me and justify me when I'm a sinner? How can he declare that I'm righteous when I know I go out tomorrow and sin again? I, I, I wonder if you've thought about that. You know, it's great that God forgives me and declares me to be innocent. But how can he do that and still be righteous himself? You see, think about this for a minute. We hate it when judges let guilty criminals off with next to no prison time, don't we? You, you never see as big a headline in the paper as when there's a murderer and then the judge says he's having four years in jail and 18 months with good behaviour. And what happens then? We all get up on our high horses and we ring up Alan Jones at wherever station he's on, I don't listen to him, but who knows. And we say, what's wrong with the justice system? There's no justice in the world. That's what we cry out, don't we? Because guilty people deserve to be punished. Well, we are all guilty before God. We've sinned, we've hurt other people, and most of all, we've hurt God himself. And God says, the wages of sin is death. God says, every human being is guilty of sin and deserves my judgment. So if God then just lets us off, says, here, I'm declaring you to be righteous, just believe in Jesus. Isn't God like one of those weak judges? You know, if we are sinners who deserve his wrath, how can he declare us to be innocent? Doesn't that make him a liar? In fact, it makes him unrighteous because he's not keeping his word. Sadly, we in our modern world don't feel that tension like Luther did or like Paul did back before him because people today often think God should just sort of be our big cuddly teddy bear. And of course God should forgive me. That's what God's meant to do. And, and of course God should forgive me, but he shouldn't forgive that person over there who's worse than me and who hurt me. But God should forgive me, and God's like this nice old man who just forgives everyone except the really bad people who are worse than me. That is not the one true God of the Bible. God is the righteous judge. God is loving, but he is to be feared. The Bible tells the beginning of wisdom is 
the fear of the Lord. So how can God say, you're innocent, but still keep his word and be righteous himself? How can justice still be done? Well, what Luther discovered in these verses is, the answer is in what we put our faith in, which is the cross of Christ. Because it is in the cross of Christ that God's mercy and God's justice meet. And that's what he discovered in verses 24 to 26. Come there with me. I'm not going to go through them in great detail, but just look with me at verse 24. He says, They, that is all people who believe in Jesus, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well, then if you go to verse 25, it says, God presented him, Jesus, as a propitiation. That is, a sacrifice in the place of someone else, namely us, through faith in his blood. You see, this idea of redemption or propitiation comes from the world of slavery. And the idea was, if you were a slave, you were owned by your master. And the only way you could be set free was if someone paid the price on your behalf, if someone paid the price to set you free. Well, the Bible tells us because of our sin, we are slaves, slaves to sin and the certainty of God's judgment. But then it says God has paid the price for us. We could pay the price ourselves, that is, face God's death and judgment. But here Luther learned God has paid the price to redeem us. And that price was the death of his son. When Jesus died, he was dying in our place. When he spilt his blood, he was spilling it for us to pay the price for our sin. And that's the point there in verse 26. Look with me. It says, God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that, one, he would be righteous, that is, he punished sin like he promised he would, but two, he could declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. I hope you followed the logic there because it's so, so important. His point is, in the cross of Jesus, you see God's justice because sin is punished, but you see God's mercy because he forgives us and declares us to be innocent. And that could only happen because Jesus took our sin on himself and gave us his righteousness that we don't deserve. And what do we need to do? To get back to the main point of the sermon, what do we need to do to accept that wonderful gift? We need to believe. We need to trust in Jesus. We need to have faith in him. Faith alone. That is the wonderful truth that Martin Luther rediscovered. Now back to Martin Luther and his story. He didn't think he was a revolutionary. He'd sort of discovered some of these things and he was in the process of discovering more from God's word and he was really excited about what he'd found out and even as he started to work things out he thought I'll start a conversation and so he went to his church door, we've got a picture of that church door here, he went to the church door in Wittenberg or Wittenberg, however you say it in German, I don't know, and anyway and he nailed this piece of paper into the door which sounds more dramatic than it was because that was just sort of how you put up a notice at that time and it was called the 95 theses he had 95 points that he'd come up with basically where he thought the church was teaching the wrong thing compared to what he'd found in the bible and he nailed it up there to sort of say come and have a discussion with me and the funny thing is it would have died there 
because no one turned up to debate it with him. There was nothing happening. But then it would have stayed pretty quiet and local, except there had been an invention a few years before. Do you know what the invention was? It wasn't the internet. It was the predecessor of the internet. It was the printing press. And some people found his theses on the church door and they said, I'm going to print those out and send them all over Europe. And suddenly it was on for young and old. And I haven't got time to tell the full story. Later in our series, I'll be recommending some books if you want to go and read more about the history of some of this. But Luther was called a heretic and he was excommunicated. And they set out to discredit him. And by being excommunicated, the church said, if you kill him, nothing will happen to you. And basically he had a price on his head for the rest of his life. And it was only that there were some local sort of princes who didn't really like Rome and liked the idea of getting away from it who sort of protected him, that enabled him to write more and read more and start spreading his ideas. But famously, they called him before a trial in 1521. And he went there, who knows why he went there, because he went expecting to die. And he got there and they said, you have to recant. You have to say that you do not believe this, that what you've taught is wrong, that you're not saved by faith alone. And this is what Martin Luther famously said. He said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Amen. And he expected to die. But amazingly, he thought it was a miracle, he survived. And from that point on, this truth that we are saved by faith alone and the other truths we're going to look at over the next five weeks, that it's grace alone, that it's Christ alone, that it's God's word alone, that news just spread all over Europe. And wherever it went, they tried to stop it. And you can go to places in England today, there's a, there's a cross in the middle of a street in Oxford that cars just drive over where they burnt men at the stake for saying, we agree with Martin Luther. And then people started translating the Bible, which had always been in Latin up to that point, which was convenient because most of the people couldn't read it. And they started translating the Bible into local languages. And so in Germany, they translated into German. In Italian, they trans- in Italy, they had translated into Italian. And in England, they translated it into English. And people read the Bible and they said, hang on, Luther is right and the church is wrong. And they came to join with Luther in this reformation, even though hundreds of them were killed for saying it. Now, Martin Luther got some things wrong. He wasn't Jesus. He wasn't perfect. And he had all sorts of issues. But 500 years on, he is a hero worth remembering and worth celebrating because he stood up for the truth of the gospel no matter what it cost him. But now as I wrap up, I want us to think about why Luther was willing to do that. Why do you think he was willing to say, here I stand, kill me if you like, but I'm not going to change what I believe. Why did he think this news that we are saved by faith alone was so wonderful and so important? I've got two reasons. The first is because it's true. That's the first reason. Because God's word says it. And if this is how God saves us, Luther decided, if this is how God has chosen to save us, if God has sent his son to die for me and we accept that gift by faith alone, well, if that is true, people need to know it. And they need to hear it. And they need to believe it. I think that's the first reason he was willing to do this, is he was just convinced this is true. And if this is true and God says it, it's worth dying for. But more than that, this truth is so important and so wonderful because it is only because of this truth that you can have total assurance 
of God's love for you. See, if I, the most important question I think you can ask a person to find out if they really understand the gospel, if they're really a Christian, is if you died tonight, where would you go? Would you be in heaven with Jesus? And if someone says, I hope so, they haven't got it. They haven't understood it. Because the Christian says, yes, I will be in heaven with Jesus and nothing can take that away from me. And the reason they say, if you then say why, if they then say because I'm such a good guy, wrong again, not a Christian. But if they then say, because I believe in Jesus who died for me, they understand the gospel. You see, what this truth gives us is the most wonderful gift there is, and that is total assurance. Total assurance. You see, we don't have to struggle like Luther did, always asking, have I done enough? Have I helped out in enough church ministries? Have I confessed my sins enough? Have I done enough good works? Because I am not saved on the basis of what I do. I'm saved by trusting in what Jesus has done for me. And that is incredibly comforting. And that is what you need to know to be saved. And the thing is, it's incredibly comforting, strangely, when we sin. You see, when we sin, and we all sin, we're often tempted to think and doubt, can God really forgive me? So when we stumble and fall, the devil is always saying to us, see, you're not really a Christian. how, How could God ever forgive you? And as we struggle with sin, we're often tempted to think, am I the only one compared to all these perfect people around me? At least they're just perfect at hiding their sin, perhaps. You see, we start to think, does this mean I'm, I'm not really a Christian? But Luther really just rediscovered that actually that is the reality of the Christian life. Not some Pharisee putting on a front and pretending to be righteous. The reality of the Christian life is you are innocent before God but at the same time, you will continue to struggle with sin in your life. And so Luther found passages like Galatians chapter 5, look at it on the screen, where it says, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. See, what Luther rediscovered is that that battle he was having was not a sign that he didn't trust in Jesus. That's the sign that he did trust in Jesus because it's the normal Christian life. Because on the one hand, you have been justified by faith, but on the other hand, you will continue to struggle with sin until Jesus returns or until you die. So now in the Christian life, what do we do? We struggle to put off sin. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we try and grow in godliness. We try and do those good works that God wants us to do. But how well we're going at that today does not change what God thinks of you. Some people say to me, oh, oh I think, you know, I'm distant from God because I, I feel I've got sin in my life. Well, you are the one who feels distant from God. God has forgiven you. God has justified you. Our works are only ever a response to our salvation. They don't play any role in winning us that salvation with God. Martin Luther would often ask his congregation a question. This is it, it's coming up on the screen. He would ask them, what should a Christian do when he is assaulted by temptation, sins, and is depressed by his ungodliness? 
So it's like, what should you do if you're struggling with sin, if you're constantly tempted, if, if you're having this battle? And, and Luther knew religious people would say, ah, oh, well, they should get more serious. They should confess their sin more. They should do more penance, do more good works. They should go join a monastery and give all their money to the church or whatever other ideas they came up with. But this is what Luther would say. He would say, if you are struggling like that, then what you need to do is to turn away to Christ to the cross and there in the forgiveness of sins see that you are justified by faith that is the most wonderful news and it's only that wonderful truth that we are justified by faith alone it's only that that gives us that assurance that God loves us and nothing can take that away from us so as I close what should our response be in this year of the 500th anniversary of the reformation First thing I want to encourage you to do is to take some time to praise God for the way he worked through people like Martin Luther. To just take some time to praise God for the way he worked through these people to open up the truth of his word so that people like you and me could know this wonderful truth. That's the first thing. Second thing, I think Martin Luther's story challenges us to stand up for the truth of God's word, doesn't it? To this, to say, this, God's word, this is what people need to know. And we need to be willing to stand up and be counted for it. To quote one of Luther's favourite verses, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. But then thirdly, and the most important thing I want to ask, I think what Luther would want to ask you tonight, and it's the same question Paul would want to ask you and Jesus would want to ask you is, do you have that assurance have you put your faith in Jesus? That is actually the most important question. Everything else is secondary. Do you have that assurance? One day we are all going to have to stand before God as he judges and give an account for our lives. So what will you say on that day? What will you say to God? Will you point into all the good things you've done and say, God, you should welcome me into your kingdom because I've been such a good person. Look at how I cared for my family. Look at my church attendance. I even went for that series on the Reformation. You know, look at how I give to charity. Look at all the good things I've done. Will you point God to the fact you didn't do anything really bad and you're better than that guy? If you do, God will not be impressed and God will say, all right, I will judge you how you deserve for the way you've lived your life. Now, when God says, why should I welcome you rather than give you what you deserve? The only answer he wants to hear is, God, you should welcome me into your kingdom, not because of anything about me, but because I trust in Jesus who died for me. That's the only reason. Because I believe in Jesus who died for me. There is no more important question than that question. Do you believe? And if you don't know whether you believe yet, I want you to make that decision. I want you to answer it tonight with a resounding yes. Why not come and talk to me afterwards or someone else you trust? If you want to say, actually, I believe in Jesus. Because that is the decision that eternity hangs on. Fourthly and lastly, to all of us here who do trust in Jesus which is most of us, I pray, and so have that wonderful assurance of salvation, I just want to say to you, please don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget how wonderful this truth is. 
And don't ever start thinking it's because of me. It's because of how good I am. God should welcome me. Don't ever forget we are sinners who are justified by faith alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth, first of all from your word, but then this truth that was rediscovered in the Reformation by Martin Luther. And Father, we pray that each person here would trust in Jesus so that we might be declared righteous, not because we've earned it, but because Jesus died for us. And Father, we pray that we would never turn aside from that wonderful news and we would never lose that wonderful assurance that comes from knowing that our salvation has been done already for us in Jesus and is not on the basis of what we do. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.